0: It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at wfpk.org from Louisville Public Media.
1: I'll give you I'll give you I'll give you everything I got.
2: Consequence Podcast Network Keep the music flowing. We'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with. It's the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thanks, as always, for making your way here, checking out the series. You know what to do if you uh, if you like what you see, what you hear. Hit that subscribe button. I uh, I put out three new interviews every single week, new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover those new ones at uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts at NPRWFPK.org. YouTube for the video versions or anywhere you get your podcasts from you can subscribe to Kyle Meredith with. Uh, some of my recent guests have included the band Laney. I had uh, Annie Weissman, the uh, the creator of the show Physical, uh, Kristen Hirsch of Throwing Muses drop by, talk to the director of Expendables 4. Uh, had some fun with the breeders, Baroness, Corey Taylor of Slipknots, uh, Michael C. Hall, actor uh, behind uh, Dexter and Six Feet Under, with his band Princess Goes. We talked to Leve, Andy Taylor of uh, of Duran Duran, Rap Boys, Westlife, Tommy Stinson of the Replacements, Jerry Harrison of Talking Heads. That's just an example of what you get. When you subscribe to the Kyle Meredith with podcast. And that's me, Kyle Meredith, today talking with Josh Radner. Uh, Josh is a musician, but of course, you'll also know him as an actor. uh, Most recently in Fleischman is in Trouble. And then, of course, famously in uh, How I Met Your Mother. He's got his debut solo album called Eulogy, Volume 1. That comes after a pair of collaborations that he had done with his friend, uh, songwriter Ben Lee, who we know around here. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, the journey to this record, uh, writing a breakup album, and the parts of himself he was able to deconstruct through the lyrics. Uh, Josh is uh, also going to talk about his favorite breakup albums, uh, including uh, Joni Mitchell and a Damien Rice classics, uh, being inspired by uh, Leonard Cohen and Nick Cave, and his plans for a more lo-fi volume 2 all that and more. We're talking Eulogy Volume 1. It's Kyle Meredith with Josh Radner. Hello, hi Kyle. It's uh it's it's great to meet you. Uh been a fan for a long time, but I've also been uh you know watching what you've been doing musically. You come off two projects with another favorite of mine Ben Lee, which was one of my very first interviews ever like 15 20 years ago. But now here it is. You're on your own. You've got a you've got a solo record. I, I hope you don't mind starting with the big, broad topic. But but what is the
1: journey to here? How did you get to this album? Well, I mean, there's the story of the album and then there's the story of me becoming a songwriter. And, and we can go in either way, but maybe just more globally. I'll just talk about, um, you know, I've, I've always been a singer. That's how I got into acting. And then I was, you know, I was, and I, and I've been a huge music fan, like an obsessive, like if I liked something, I go really down the rabbit hole with it. So I approached songwriting initially as a fan and Ben, uh, Ben Lee, who was one of my best friends for years, we talked about writing a song together and one day we did, and we got a song we really liked. And next week we wrote another really good song. And then the next week he was like, let's make a record. And then Radner and Lee was born and uh, we put out two albums and, You know, I kind of had this incredible songwriting laboratory workshop uh, apprenticeship with Ben. I mean, we were co-writing everything, music and lyrics, but he had the guitar. He had the, you know, two decades of experience writing songs. So I really got to um, both put my vision forward and learn all these little tricks of the trade and then halfway through our, our collaboration, I picked up uh, a guitar, you know, that uh, Gibson acoustic that was sitting at my house for a long time that I wasn't really playing. And I knew a couple chords and I was going through a breakup, which is a great impetus to write a song. And I wrote my first <laughs> song on my own. And then something happened. Like I just picked up the guitar, songs poured out of me uh, melodies poured out of me. And I just, I, we, I made another record with Ben while I was playing guitar, but then I just started writing my own stuff. And, uh, you know, a couple of years later, I just, I I'm overloaded with songs, you know, um, I've been, you know, I think of it as a kind of continuum. I'm, I'm just a storyteller. Essentially. I participate in stories as an actor. I write and direct movies. Uh, and then I write like three to four minute stories, uh, set to music. Like I think a lot of musicians,
2: if you get lucky on your song, it's gonna play like a mini movie, but there's something really special that does happen within you, and maybe maybe that's because the type of songwriter you are, maybe that's because you you come from you know acting but but the movies that happen within this album
1: sound very painful but sound but are so much fun to listen to and watch i I kind of uh I don't trust things that don't have humor in them. And I don't trust things on some level that don't have like tragedy or pathos in them, because I feel like life is just very complicated and dimensional and it's hilarious and it's tragic all at the same time. So I feel, you know, we've all had the experience of at the depths of like a kind of grief, you have like a kind of laugh that you just can't believe was so deep and hilarious. And that, you know, sometimes in the middle of beautiful moments, this kind of wash of of melancholy will come over you. I, I don't know. That's, that's my experience of life. It just feels. And so I want my music and all the things I make to kind of reflect, you know, you're not going to get the totality of the experience, but at least holographically, you know, to grab some of that. Um, and, you know, the title eulogy is not exactly an uplifting title, but there's, uh, you know, there's a dancing skeleton on the cover. So I'm trying to um, you know, uh, there's a great, uh, there's a mythologist named Martin Shaw that I listened to, who's just terrific. And he talked about how it's a lot sexier to be a human than an angel because we die. You know, there's something about like the finitude, if that's the word or, uh, you know, of our existence that gives it this like sexy, fleeting, sad, funny quality that you probably can't get if you're an infinite being of light. <laughs>
2: No, that's. I mean, especially you know, so many vampires on TV for the past decade. I think that's one of the things. Like my wife and I will argue that too. It's like, would you, would you take immortality? Right, and uh, and
1: she's no, she would not take it. And I'm like, uh, yes, <laughs> give it. I'm with your wife. I think there's something really. And my fiance, I just got engaged. My fiance is a psychologist, and her specialty is the connection between love and death. And I met her while I was recording this record. So this notion of eulogy and, and, and this idea of death. And, and one of the ways I've, I've rationalized the title for myself is I, I think each of these songs is a bit of a, they're a little funeral for parts of myself, parts of myself that are served me up to a point. And then you kind of have to have a little funeral for these parts of yourself that you can't really carry on, but you have to kind of say goodbye to. And, and it's nice to, to, to have the ability to, you know, there's something, you you know, to write an elegy or a eulogy in song is so potent. And we'll be right back right after this. Shout out to uh, Astapro
2: for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Uh, I, I live in Kentucky, in the Midwest, and allergies, yeah, I suffer. When I say I suffer from allergies, I suffer from allergies. And around here, everyone I know Welcome back. It's Kyle and Meredith with Josh Radner. It's it, it's way more interesting. Well, I won't say way more because I love this record to begin with, but but I'm finding it an extra amount of interesting now knowing that you've gotten you you've met someone during this and and you're engaged because again, it's a heavy record in a lot of parts and 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 for the most part it does play like a breakup record and I'm thinking, you know, if it's anything like me, you know, going through a breakup, you know, you find this moment where you go a little bit mad a little bit crazy but also when you find that someone new it's like the biggest shot of caffeine like you're like the way my brain works and and i don't know if that's with you but but that's interesting how that will play in this because as you're saying goodbye and you're finding this new thing and this this chemical reaction maybe that's happening inside of you were you aware that that was happening as you were producing these songs and how that had the effect on them
1: Well, it was interesting because while I was recording this album in Nashville with with my friends uh, Corey, Kyle, and Jeremiah, um, I was going through a breakup. I mean, I had I I had a breakup kind of happen around November, December, and we recorded this album in February and March. So, and my ex was still in my house in LA, and I was kind of in exile from my house. And it was a really like tender, liminal, transitory moment. So, and and that's when I met my fiance and. you know, it's hard to say. It's not like I had a breakup and sat down and wrote these 12 songs. What, what happened was I, had, I was backlogged with so much music. I put out an EP in 2021, but I just had so much music. And, and I was kind of lost. I didn't know where to go. I was in Ohio, kind of hiding out at my parents' house while they were in California. And my friend Kyle Cox, who's who's a great songwriter, and he said, why don't you come to Nashville and let's let's record a couple of your songs? It turned out to be 23 songs, you know, but I just went with my my dad's car and my dog nelson and armed you know with a bushel full of songs rented an airbnb we um you know turned it into a studio and i had this glorious month in nashville so it wasn't like i sat down and penned a breakup album but i the the energy around it was both in some ways death and rebirth this one part of my life was going away, and then this other part, which I which it was unforeseen, was about to to click forward. I mean, I, I never like to make something that's wholly despairing, because I feel it's my responsibility, both as a human and as a storyteller, to kind of like, you know, pull the plane out of a nosedive towards the end. Because I, I don't, you know, I'm not a nihilist, right? Even though I honor and accept that life is really hard but I'm not a nihilist. I, I, I'm wired to, to kind of find silver linings. So those are all laced through the record too. And, and to be fair, beyond the breakup, I mean,
2: there are those moments you've, I think you talked about in the press release as well, but like, like red right from the beginning feels like an opus. Like when I heard it first and the way it played, I started wondering if this is a song that sets up the record in any sort of way. And, and hearing you talk about, was it channeling the rebellious adolescence that I never felt I, I was allowed to be? Mm-hmm. Like, that's a big line right there. That's, that's like, how does that, uh, how does that song set up the record?
1: Well, that song is, I was mm-hmm. inspired by this Robert Bly talk called The Masculine Road. Robert Bly was a, uh, I think, a, a very award winning poet, but he also pioneered a lot of men's work. And he was very interested in, kind of masculine wounding and stuff. And he has this this talk that's fascinating called The Masculine Road. And he says there's three phases of a man's life and they correspond to the first three colors we see when we are children, which are red, white, and black. And um, red is, I, try, I was going to do a three song cycle called Red, White, and Black. I haven't written white and black yet, but I did write red. And red is this kind of fiery, hot, lusty, rebellious, you know, fuck you, mom and dad, I I don't need anyone I'm you, you know um hedonistic kind of it's it's just this young fiery angry time in one's life before you kind of find who you are and and realize that all that anger is not serving you um and uh so I I don't know it was it was, it was early pandemic and I was just listening to that talk and I said I'm going to write a song called red and I and I kind of um just channeled this part of me that that you know, I was a good kid. I was I my I grew up in a family where it was like kind of there wasn't an option to be like a bad kid. <laughs> it was just like you just were like you behaved and you got good grades. And some of my my uh, rebellion went into the shadows. I mean, I wasn't I was I was a drinker and I did my things, you know, but outwardly I was very a uh, menschy kid. And um, so red was kind of this, uh, I don't know, reparative act of of going back and letting myself musically at least and poetically have some rage have some um you know just just be kind of an asshole in a song from from a kid's perspective you know from a teenager's perspective but but there's something he's really si- he's speaking he's spitting great truths you know and I think he is spitting them because they're they're backlogged and he's angry. And it's uh, I like it as the opener because it's a real shot across the bow. You know, it's like I think it's a bold way to open a record. And it's also the record is a journey. So I think starting in youth and then at the end, you know, you get into songs like Learning and Joshua 45, 46, which are much more of a, you know, an older man's um, acceptance, surrender and reflection.
2: Learning. I wrote down that line too. can't shake the feeling that it could end. Because you know as a listener, we find our moments that we relate that you know that, that we accept as our own and that's that's what that's that's one of those lines that I've always had like no matter what no matter how good it could be it's almost like you hear about you know the grandparents that grew up during the depression and and what they still hoard in the garage or in the basement you know it's like that's that's basically everything that I've ever applied to my
1: life <laughs> yeah and it's hard and we inherit a lot of that you know um kind of generationally we can we can some of that feeling of like, this isn't going to last or this isn't solid. But I also think that's a, a, a consequence of being human, you know, that that life is pretty fragile. Right. And the, and, there is, and there are, you know, plenty of stories of just life changing in an instant. Um, and so it's it's um we tiptoe here. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a delicate thing to be human. Well, you know, while I'm talking about some of the songs,
2: um, Pretty Angel, which follows red, it's really something special. Oh thanks. I mean the light and playfulness of it um but that melody I, I really think you like what do I want to say? I'm going to go cheesy. It just feels like a hug. It feels very comfortable if that makes sense.
1: You know Pretty Angel was one of the first songs I wrote that I said this is a real song. Like this is this felt like I I I it needed to be on the record and I'll tell you a fun thing about that. I, it might have been in the little notes you got I don't know but um it, it, it it's, it's basically about this very universal thing of not being able to sleep and then your mind being overrun with regret and why did I say that and fear and all these things. But um, we decided at the end of red, it says, uh, all I'm seeing is, and it normally says red, but we cut it off. And I said to these the guys, Jeremiah, Corey, and, and Kyle, I said, I wish I had a song that started with the r- word red. And I said, wait, I do, because Pretty Angel starts, read all the news. I know all the views. Now I got the blues, you know? And so there's a fun little Easter egg in there where, where red cuts off and then the next word. Um, and then there's also something about Pretty Angel that I thought in the story of the record, it's a man who can't sleep and is haunted by regret and roads not taken or wrong roads taken. And he's up and maybe the whole album is this guy who can't sleep. You know, that whole thing is this, this kind of dream or lucid kind of dream. And we'll be right back right after this.
0: When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes.
2: Welcome back. It's Kyle Meredith with Josh Radner. And I'll tell you one of the surprising ones, too, on it, too, you know, when you get down since we're talking about, you know, that it's like you you get that you can sleep alone. I bring that up because of sleep. But also this finds you in a different world, which was kind of fun. Musically speaking, Uh, it's a little bit country. Um, Reminds me of sort of a slow dance on a rooftop, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But uh, where did that come from? Because again, that's that's sort of musically, it's set apart from everything else that you were doing. Just a little
1: bit. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you end up um, pl- uh, just basically like playing with different chord progressions that, that put you in a different world. Like I write a lot of like C, F, G, A minor, E minor kind of stuff, which is, you know, very standard. But that's in E. So it's E, A, B, seven the whole time. And, and in some ways, it puts you in like a kind of Hank Williams world immediately. Um, but I, I make a joke when I, at my live shows, when I play that, you know, so many songs are like, baby, come on over, baby, it's cold outside, I'm lonely. And this is like a different genre, which is maybe I shouldn't call them. Maybe, maybe this person isn't good for me. And I was in, um, you know, I was trying to I was trying to grow up around, you know, women and sex as as a lot of us are or have or, you know, are hoping to. And I was seeing someone whenever I would come to New York that I just thought she was lovely. She was a really kind, cool person. There was a lot of attraction between us, but there was I knew it wasn't going to go any further. And I and I had already called it off. But I was at this hotel in New York on a business on a work thing. And I was dying to call her like I really wanted to call her and reconnect and I was lonely and I thought oh wouldn't it be great to see you know her and uh, instead of calling her I wrote this song to myself you can sleep alone tonight, which is really like, you know, like a hu- like in a, a hugging kind of context like pretty angel it was like singing myself to sleep, say like you don't have to reach out like it's okay to be alone tonight, you can weather this. Um, I think some of my favorite songs also double as slight prayers. And I mean that, like, uh, you know, not in any sort of uh, not aligned with any religion, but they're just yearning or prayers for some sort of shift in uh, consciousness or mood.
2: That's a nice moment when that when when the character of this album really does start to believe in themselves
1: a little bit more or start to take that turn a great, great Nashville songwriter. She's a friend of mine and she came into the studio and just melted our faces off with all this harmony. And she, I, I give her a, you know, a credit in the song cause she just lifted it into another zone.
2: Do you get to have any fun in Nashville? I mean, it sounds like an intense month that you're there, but it's, I guess I'm there all the time. It's right down the road. So I know how Nashville can, can play.
1: I'm, I, I have found myself as like an East Nashville person. I feel like, um, East Nashville feels like the Brooklyn or Los Feliz of, of Nashville and those places I live uh, normally. So um, I just really took to it. I mean, I was pretty residential when I lived there. I I, I hung with the restaurants in the neighborhood. I had my dog, you know, I I I'd, I'd walk my dog Nelson and listen to our day's work kind of, you know, and then talk to my now fiance as we were getting to know each other. So my 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 memories of Nashville. I mean, I've certainly been to the restaurants and the music venues, but my when I think about Nashville, I more think about like quiet, you know, quiet moonlit streets, you know, walking around with my dog listening to the album.
2: It's a really good memory because it's that's non-traditional for the way a lot of people, you know, might spend it down there. I kinda like that. But that's um you use something in the notes that I was gonna hit on too. And I'm thinking about Nashville and 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 just what it means musically and all that stuff and but but you you said the word North Star, and I think you were talking about Alexi Murdoch, which is a phrase I use a lot, but I don't hear it. a lot of people use it in the context of. We talk music, we talk influences. My interviews, I'll, I'll you know, I have got Bowie behind me, and and I, for a lot of time, I'll say you know, well, that's my musical North Star right there. I, you know, I, I base a lot on Bowie. As you're, I don't know if you still find that you're finding your voice, but since this is. A debut do you do you hear
1: your influences do you still have your north stars musically that you're looking at in these songs i think so it's funny that you said um a, a breakup record because i would say my favorite albums are are breakup records essentially i mean blue joni mitchell's blue is kind of like at the top of the the pyramid really up there with damien rice's oh because um when I was when that record came out I I heard it on I used to, when I was in LA more I was a big KCRW listener and I remember Nick Harcourt had him in the studio and I didn't catch he well I just heard this voice that sounded like nothing I'd ever heard and I ended up seeing him like eight times in the next two years and I went so deep on that record I would like you know, iPods were kind of new and I would like walk up to people that I would just met and be like, you have to listen to this. Like I was really proselytizing for that record. And and the feeling that I got from watching Damien Rice play in those early years, in small clubs, you know, he wasn't, he you know, Closer hadn't come out yet. He hadn't really exploded. But the feeling, whatever he was doing to me is something that I am chasing as a songwriter, you know. I mean, certainly I you know, I, I probably have more up-tempo stuff than he does and more there, there might be more, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to compare it, but there was something that some of his songs were doing to me that were so soul enriching and heart opening. And I just, that's what I'm chasing, whatever that is. And um, I just, I continue to think that that album is like a perfect thing. And an artist who's, you know, playing on his own time. I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I, you're not going to rush him putting out a
2: record, you know. I'm always amazed at the artists who can do that, you know, and and they've all got their reasons. Uh, similarly, you know, sort of similar field, Paolo Nutini, his record came out this year, and it was or last year, and it was like seven or eight years before that. And I think about him and Damien and Fiona Apple and and those artists. It's like it's like how do you do that? And then you have an artist like um like Jacob Dylan, and he's the type of artist who just doesn't write in the middle somebody says, hey, you probably need to make a record. And he says, okay, hang on.
1: I heard, um, I think Alanis Morissette used to do that. She would go into the studio just with her journals. I think it was her. I could be thinking of someone else. But I, that idea of just like booking a studio without any songs feels <laughs> bonkers to me. It's just not my way. Like I am, it's funny. My collaboration with Ben was very, it brought up the differences in our personality in a really fun way he is much more like he has very little lag time between idea and execution and he's like let's lay it down or let's film it and put it online and I'm like shouldn't we take four or five cracks at it and try to get it as good as we can you know like I'm much more of a drafts guy and I'll write I have so many orphaned you know choruses and half written songs and I get back to a lot of them but they I let them be until such time. I'm actually really did you watch the Leonard Cohen Hallelujah documentary? Yeah. I'm so inspired by his both workman, like almost like blue collar approach to songwriting while also being like, yeah, this song took me seven years. I wrote 60 verses, you know what I mean? Like there's something so great about, you know, and then someone like Dylan writes masterpieces in 15 minutes and that's just how he's wired. And, and sometimes a song will feel more channeled. Like you sit down and it's just there. And other times I'm really chiseling away at it and, and, I have a song that's, you know, not on this record. It's one of my favorite songs I've written. It's for Jordana, my fiance. And I, there was just two lines. I could not get them for months. And one day they just appeared, but I, I like, you know, it's kind of the Nick Cave thing. My muse is not a horse. Like you, you want to really be delicate with the the muse and, and let it work on its own time while also showing up to work regardless. Keep those receptors up as they say, but you did the thing though. You did
2: the thing. With an album. You called something volume one, which is either tongue-in-cheek or or it's all these leftover songs. You've already got a plan.
1: Oh, I, there's the volume two. It's not coming out for a while. Volume two is much more uh, kind of basement tapes acoustic. It's It's just a bunch of songs that... I mean, there's a little harmonica on it with the with the guitar, but it's mostly, it was just after Kyle's kids went to sleep, we just kind of straight to taped a bunch of songs and I love it. I love that part of it, but but there is a volume two. Although I think Tom Waits just has like a volume one that never had a volume two, right? right. Like, yeah.
2: Or you can, you know, Waits done that. You can do the uh, the Willberries thing where it was volumes one and three. Right. Because that's, and I always said like, you know, if you were the type of musician who, you know, we don't do it as much anymore with the greatest hits. But, uh, you know, you put out a greatest hits after three records and you called a volume one. It's like, oh, you just dug your own grave. Right, and right. It's,
1: it's there's no volume Two, buddy. It's, there is something ballsy about it. At the very least, you're kind of where you want the home run to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: beyond the music, you've also got the uh, the newsletter that occasionally arrives. Uh, I love reading that. Uh, what's I mean, is that just, again, inspiration when it happens? Do you have a plan for that?
1: You know, I wish I could do. I wish I did more of them. They they end up. Um, they take a lot of time. They're a lot of work. Um, I I always. I would love to do one every two months. I end up doing one every three or four months. But uh, you know, you can find them. They're 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 sign upable. They're free. Uh, I think I'm switching over to Substack. Um, but uh, I I just write a kind of essay ish thing on where I'm at or some. Thoughts I've been having. And then I I link a bunch of things I've been listening to or watching or reading that I that I'm finding inspiring. And I've been doing it for a lot of years and people seem to really like them. I'm I'm glad you're a reader. I appreciate the uh the newsletter shout out.
2: Yeah, 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 man. I mean, and and as you said, it's you kind of giving that to what you're listening, what you're watching, what you're reading, especially. I've taken those notes in the past, you know, and it's like, yeah, kind of look that up. You know, I always appreciate that stuff, especially. So so please do continue whenever whenever that hits you. Yeah, nice. And in the meantime, Eulogy Volume One—it's really great. I love it. I love what you've done here. I'm so looking forward to Volume Two. Uh, what's the year look? I, I mean, I know, I know in the film world, everybody's uh, got some time on their hands these days. So you taking the opportunity as a tour?
1: Yeah, yeah. I've got a couple of dates lined up. We're going to announce them soon. Uh, nothing major, just because I, I I don't have the bandwidth. I'm also planning a wedding. <laughs> sure. But uh, we. <laughs> Uh Red is coming out. The singles, I think, uh September 15th, I think, or 17th. I think 15th. And um, and then every three weeks, you know, I got another single. There's two more in New York City. Well, let me, <laughs> I won't tell you what they are, but they're coming out, and the album's coming out in November. So um, I really appreciate you letting your listeners know about it. And I hope people find the record. I'm I'm super proud of it.
2: My thanks to Josh Radner. The new album is called Eulogy, Volume One. Thanks to you. For checking out the episode, Uh, again, I do hope you hit that subscribe button before you get out of here. You do that, I'll give you three brand new interviews every single week. That's a new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to keep you up to date on your favorite artists. And discover those new ones at Spotify and Apple Podcasts, at NPR, WFPK.org, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcasts from. You can subscribe to Kyle Meredith With. And then after that, head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday starting at 6 p.m. Eastern. It's four hours of classics from the 70s, 80s, 90s. Got the best in new music. You get some anniversary spins, music news, bonus interviews. Uh, One of my recent episodes had the music of Bob Marley. Counting Crows, Gotta Buy Voices, Pavement, Violent Femmes, Sturgill Simpson, Patty Griffin, uh, Michael Fronti, The Foo Fighters, Tori Amos, NWA, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, Tedeschi Trucks, Bob Dylan, Prince, Soccer Mommy, Group Love, Death Cab for Cutie, Dogstar, Patty Smith, Father John Misty, Wilco, and my interview with the Hives. Just what you get every weeknight starting at 6 p.m. at (laughs) WFPK.org. consequence has your music and film news you can also find me on the old social medias uh really any social media the address is always at kyle meredith so i do hope you like and follow along and that does it for another edition i'm kyle meredith and i'll see you next
0: time this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes
1: Consequence Podcast Network. Put on the lady who sounds like winter.
0: It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at wfpk.org, from Louisville Public Media.